Open your Bibles tonight, praise God, to Proverbs 29, and uh, let's look at verse 18. Proverbs 29, verse 18. Many of you know uh, what this says already, but I think it's good for our eyes to rest on the Scripture. Proverbs 29, verse 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now you can drive through some neighborhoods, even in the Bay Area, and you can see and you can sense despondency on people's lives. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it on their face. Despondency. A lack of despondency means a lack of hope. So many people are in hopeless situations because they have no vision. I believe with all of my heart that everyone in this auditorium should have a vision for their individual life. And your vision then should align itself with God's word and God's vision for your life. Did you know that the God of increase wants you to increase in every area of your life? The Bible talks about various areas that we can increase in. We're to increase in the knowledge of God. We're to increase in our love one toward another. Amen. And so we see that God is a God of vision and he wants to infuse your very life with vision so that you can see where you're going along this path called life. And so individually, we should all have vision. We should all have goals. And as a local church, it is so important for there to be a vision. And what we have done here at Heart of the Bay, I believe, according to the will of God, is we have aligned ourselves with His vision for this place. For this place is His place, and I love His place. And basically, you can describe the vision basically in three words. Reaching, healing, and maturing. Reaching, healing, and maturing. That is reaching the lost, maturing, healing the hurting, and then maturing the believer. Amen. And as I was preparing for tonight's message... I looked at different purposes that we have as a church. Those things that really uh, God has put in our heart to help us to fulfill His vision for this place. Now, I'm not going to be reciting or looking at the entire vision tonight, but a couple of aspects are very important. One of our main purposes here at Heart of the Bay is discipleship and equipping. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 8, he said, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. And what will the truth do? The truth will set you free. The truth will make you free. So one of the greatest things in our heart here at Heart of the Bay is to build up the body of Christ that is in this place, through God's Word, and to equip people to mature spiritually so that they can grow to their full potential in Christ Jesus. Amen. And I believe that according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, 
that when everyone gets serious about doing their part in his place, in his house, there will come a supply of the Spirit, a supply of the things that God has put in our heart, and the result will be growth and increase, and this body, glory to God, will edify itself, each member building up one another, alongside of one another, being a blessing to one another, and there will be an explosion of the love of God in this place. Amen. And so, we're here to equip. We're here to mature by the grace of God. I looked at some of our our values, and, and let me just read a couple of them for you. We believe that anointed Bible teaching is the catalyst for transformation in our lives and in the life of our church. <clears throat> we believe that each member should operate as a community of servants using their spiritual gifts. And the one that I want to look at tonight just for a moment is this, is one of our core values is we believe now that loving relationships should permeate every aspect of our church life. Loving relationships. I believe that fellowship is absolutely vital to the life of a local church. You know, when you look at the word fellowship in the Greek, the word fellowship literally is koinonia. Everyone say koinonia. It's that word that John used. Where he said, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Amen? But truly our fellowship is with God the Father and Jesus Christ the righteous. So when you look at the term and the word fellowship, it literally means an association. It means community. It means a joint participation. It also carries with it the thought of a sharing, to participate, what you have on the inside of you through fellowship and through koinonia can be shared with another person and therefore intimacy takes place spiritually. And so I believe that it is the responsibility of the senior pastor and the pastoral staff to see to it that there is community built within the local body. Can I hear an amen? amen? You see, it's so vital that we don't just come to church and have some sort of a facade and do our time and just, you know, worshiping the Lord and then, hi, how are you? Doing good. See you next week and out the door. I believe that there's much more to the local church than that. And God designed a place where real community can happen. And that place is the church. It is the family of God. And once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, God also wants you to be a belonger to. He's not just looking for believers with, you know, saying words and speaking words, but he's looking for belongers. He's not just looking for spectators, he's looking for participators. He's looking for people that will roll up their sleeves and say yes to the will of God and yes to the plan of God. Now in Romans 12 and verse 5, 
It says, so we, being many, we are one body in Christ. And everyone members one of another. How can you experience real, genuine fellowship? How can you experience great relationships in the local body? How can you experience real community in the local church? Well, I want to remind you something that Paul said to Timothy. And I know that this is a little different tonight. It's not really a teaching. It's more of an exhortation and it's more of a casting of vision. And so if I go through some scriptures without having them put it up, you just listen with your heart. It's not necessary necessarily for you to open up the pages of your Bible and look at each individual scripture. I'll tell you when to look. But I want you to catch the spirit of the vision that I believe that God is placing in our heart. Paul said to Timothy, he said, I am writing these things to you so that you will know how to live in the family of God. For the family of God is the church of the living God. And so there are several building blocks of building deep fellowship within the local church. And we don't have time to enumerate all of them. But I want to talk to you about a couple of them tonight. I believe this. That if there's going to be fellowship in the church, there's got to be frequency in our attendance. You see, in fellowship, we meet often. We don't meet just when we feel like it. If we join a small group, we're committed to the small group. If we are part of the youth group, bless God, we are participating in the youth group. Frequency is so important. The Bible says in the Good News Translation, it says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. It should be a God-given, God habit for you to come to church. Instead of giving up the habit of meeting together, he says, instead, let us encourage one another. Let us encourage one another. And we need, I don't know about you, but I need, and I think I can speak for most of you, we all need the frequency of encouragement. We all need one another. If you look in the Bible, you will see several scriptures throughout the Gospels and in the New Testament, certain phrases like each other, alongside of one another. God never intended for anyone in the body of Christ to be a Lone Ranger. He's called us together to be in community with one another and to meet Frequently, And as we meet frequently, the spirit of encouragement takes place. If there's going to be some deep relationships, I'm talking about koinonia, not sloppy, surfacey agape. But I'm talking about real Christianity. Did you know that in the book of Acts, the Bible said they praised God, they worshiped God, but they went from house to house daily, breaking bread, glory to God, and sharing the good news. If there's going to be deep relationship, there must be time spent together. 
Amen. We must meet often to get to know one another. And so fellowship is built on frequency. Everyone say frequency. Frequency. You know, I get tired of people talking about they can do what they want to do. No, we're in the Lord's army. We serve the commander in chief. We don't do what we want to do. Our body is not our own. We don't do anything our flesh wants to do. We do what the word of God says to do. And I could meddle on something, but I'm not going to. But another aspect of fellowship, to build deep relationships, it's also not only built on community, but it's built on mutuality. And I'll show you what I mean. I do want you to turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 12. See, I believe this. In fellowship, we can help each other grow. You know, I'm looking at Dee Dee Vernosi. Her and her husband, Paul Vernosi, have been over our Coupled Together group for a number of years. I don't know how many years, but several years. And in that Coupled Together, there are relationships built. Their roots are deep. There's great koinonia that takes place. And so, when we come together, whether it be in the small group of Emerge, which is our college and, and career age, or whether it be in the small group of Coupled Together, how about the second wind group? How many second winders we got here? I thought I'd get a little bit. Come on, somebody. This is not weekend at Bernie's, right? This is the church of the living God. How many second winders we got here tonight? You talk about fellowship? Those folks fellowship together. They develop deep relationships because they meet frequently. And there is a mutuality that takes place. Let me show you in Romans chapter 1 verse 12. Keith Hershey has designed his whole ministry around this one verse of scripture. Romans 1 12. Ready? Let's read together. That is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I'm going to read this one from Brenda's translation which is the Holman's translation. So if you have the Holman and you can pull it up, I absolutely love this. How many of you remember a few Sundays ago we talked about encouraging one another? Encouraging one another. Everybody needs faith buddies. And everybody needs someone just to come alongside of them and be there and not necessarily preach to them when they're going through a troubled time. There are times, there's a time to give the word, there's a time to open your mouth, but there's also a time to hush up and just let your presence be with people. I know I'm preaching good right now. Now notice this, that is to be mutually encouraged, encouraged, putting something into one another by each other's faith. By yours and by mine. I like what Keith Moore says. We all need some faith buddies. We all need some faith buddies. Now there are, there's three ways or three parts to this mutual faith. Number one, I believe this. I believe that we ought to have prayer partners. 
I believe that when we're going through a test, we're going through a trial, we ought to have a friend, we ought to have a brother, we ought to have a sister that we can call and say, will you please lock shields with me? It seems like in the natural realm, all hell is broke loose. I need your faith. I need your prayer. You know, the Bible says one will put a thousand to flight, but two shall chase 10,000 to flight. And so this mutuality, combining of faith, locking shields together, comes by praying for one another. And secondly, it comes by encouraging one another. You know, the Bible tells us to make sure that we choose our words very carefully. And this is so important. We must speak words to one another. Whether it be in a small group or whether it be out at a restaurant. Words that are helpful. Words that will build one another up. According to what their needs are. And then in a small group, and it doesn't really matter what kind of small group it is. I, I listed some of them already. Second Wind. And Terry Elmerle has that great, great women's group where she does Bible studies with them. How many of you were part of the Yarn Lovers group? The Yarn Lovers group. I mean, what are you going to do with some of that stuff, Cindy? You see all that stuff out there when you walk out, all that stuff that was by yarn lovers, group in this church, they're taking all of that to homeless vets in a couple of weeks. That's a great thing. Now let me ask you, Cindy, did you all have some good fellowship? Were there some good relationships developed? That is the value of a small group. Amen. And so I'm here to sell you on it tonight. <laughs> if you can't tell, I'm here to sell it on, sell this on you. Amen. You got from youth to CIA to all these other awesome things happening in the church. And I want to introduce to you something tonight that I believe that, that the will of God can be accomplished in. Say it with me, small groups. Now the question would be, okay, Pastor Mark. Why small groups? Why do we do that? I believe that we exist for spiritual growth. It's got to be centered around the Word of God. It's got to be centered around worship, centered around prayer, and even discussion. Small groups are a way for you to get connected. Small groups are a way for you to meet your brothers and sisters in this church. Amen. And somebody says, well, Pastor Mark, why in the world would I want to attend a small group? Because you're sitting in a church that's fairly large. Now, this is by no means a mega church like Joel Osteen's church. This is not a a mega church in the thousands, but this is a large church in the hundreds. And you know, the larger your church gets, the easier it is to get lost in the shuffle. It's easy to get lost. It's easy to get disconnected. And what small groups do is small groups allow you to connect and to enjoy intimate fellowship with each other. Now, what I'm doing is I'm just testing the waters. And what we're going to kick off next week is we're going to kick off a small group that is based on discussion. It is called a sermon-based group. A sermon-based group. Everyone say sermon. Sermon. 
base group. Now, the list of small groups is like this. And there's several ways that you can approach it. But on Wednesday night, for just five weeks, and I'm going to give you the dates, we're going to do what we call a sermon-based group. And the model links a church of small groups ministry with a weekly sermon and worship service. And group members will study the same topic or passage of Scripture that was covered in the sermon. In other words, what I'm going to do on Wednesday night, I'm going to teach you for about 20 to 25 minutes, maybe 30, on a certain subject. And then I've got 11 group leaders, after we've worshipped the Lord, after we have brought forth the Word of God, we're going to break up into about 10 to 11 groups, and there's going to be several discussion questions that we're going to talk about what's been preached. We're not going to talk about the preacher. We're not going to critique the pastor's message. Was he anointed or was he not anointed? Some of the advantages of this are this. When you combine a sermon with a small group, it really, really provides repeated exposure to the material that's been covered. And what it can do is it can help make it stick with the group members. When you get into a small group and you're honoring one another and you're being courteous with one another and and one person isn't taken up all the time, come on somebody. And that's why we have group facilitators. They're going to help keep the ball rolling. But what it does is helps solidify the message that has been preached and it'll be able to stick to your spirit. Secondly, another advantage of a small group is Having all small groups study the same material creates a wider sense of unity and common direction. And I'll tell you what I'm going to be preaching on. I'll tell you what the theme is going to be. Because I've been around here for a long time. And I see a lot of Christians broke, busted, and disgusted. And that is not condemnation. But it is just absolutely, positively the truth. And there have been certain extremes in certain areas concerning prosperity that people think that all they've got to do is jabber a few words and put money in the offering plate and everything's going to be all right. I tell you, everything's not going to be all right if you're not working. Because if you don't work, you don't eat. And I'm not talking about anybody in particular, so don't get nervous in the service. But by and large, it is the will of God for everyone, praise God, to be having a job. Can you say amen? We have seen this since 2008. We have seen upside down. You know what upside down is? Upside down ain't right side up. Upside down means you owe more. Amen? than your house is worth. The recession began in 2008. We made a qualified decision. We are not going to participate in the recession. You look at the United States of America, unemployment rate is extremely high. I mean, it's higher than it's ever, ever been. And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, and I'm not blaming any president 
or future president. What I'm saying is those of us are in Christ Jesus. We have the faith. We have the power to get wealth. We have the faith. We have the power to get to the land of debt free. Amen. If there's anybody that ought to be excelling in the financial area, it ought to be tongue-talking, spirit-filled, Holy Ghost, Word of Faith preaching, Bible-toting Christians. And how many of you know we're on the way? I'm not preaching to you on some sort of huge lofty place. I'm on my way. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm on my way too. So we're going to look. At some laws of money management. The title of these five weeks is going to be called Financial Fitness. And we're going to look at some things that Jesus said. You know, Jesus said more about money than he did heaven and hell. Did you know that? You look throughout the the, the New Testament, you will see that he said much more about money than he did heaven or hell. I believe that it's important that you and I know the laws of prosperity. That you and I, in this day and age, learn how to become financially fit. Amen. There's too many people waiting for the ship to come in, and they never sent one out. There's too many people sitting in a park waiting for the ravens to come feed them. Listen, I believe this. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. One half of his parables were about money. One half of them. And one of my goals here at Heart of the Bay is to help you get into a place where you're financially fit. And then corporately as a church, be more financially fit than we've ever been. In Matthew chapter 25, I want you to notice this. And let's look at verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave how many talents? Did you know that the word talent there is actually about money? And a talent in that context of scripture, a talent is a measurement of gold. One talent of gold is about 71 pounds. Think about it. Five talents of gold in today's economy would be $9 million. He gave this one five talents. Now, when we look at talents, we can think in terms of money. We can think in terms of giftedness. We can think in terms of what God has put on us so that we might steward for his cause. Amen. Amen. To another two. Well, that's 3.6 million. And to another one. That's 1.8 million. Somebody says, I only got one. Well, you mean you only got 1.8 million. (laughs) And he delivered... Unto them his goods. 
He gave the one ten, the one five, the one two, the one one. Notice, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway he took his journey. And then he that received the five talents went and traded with the same and doubled it. Doubling is the will of God. And likewise, he that had received two gained two others also, doubled it. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of the servants came and reckoned with them. And so he that received five came and bought other five, saying, Lord, you delivered unto me five. Behold, I have gained five more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and what? Thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. Glory to God. What did he say he'd do? He said, I'm going to make you a ruler over many things. When you are faithful to what God has given you, whether it be money, whether it be gift, whether it be a talent, God looks at that and says, I'm going to increase you and I'm going to promote you because I can trust you. Amen. Amen. And likewise, verse 17, he that received two gained other two. But he that received one wind and digged the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and reckoned with them. And so he that had received five came and bought five other. He said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. I've gained five more. He called him faithful. And it goes on and on right on through verse 30. And that's not our intention tonight to teach the whole lesson. But I want you to notice with me in verse 14, it says that the kingdom of heaven is like a man. He was going on a journey and he had three servants and he entrusted his property to them. Whose money was it? It was the master. Whose talent was it that gave to you? It was the Lord's. Now, here is the first law that we're going to talk about next week. It is the law of possession. And that is saying that everything I have belongs to God. Everything I have belongs to God. In Him I live and move and have my being. What you think you own, friend, is really alone. God made it all. He owns it. And then he loans it. And he loans it to you. And he loans it to me. Listen, friend. It was all here before you came. And it'll be here after you die. How many of you have ever seen a hearse tagging along or carrying along a U-Haul? The point I'm making is this. Is God created humans. Think about the awesome plan of God. He created humans to manage His resources. And the benefit is this. 
We get to use it. But it's not ours. You see, if you loaned me your car for a year and I drove it, I could get pretty used to that. And if I came back to you and said, well, could you loan me your car for another year? Yeah, we'll let you use it for another year. And the tricky thing about that is, is sooner or later, you can start to think that that's your car. But it's not your car. It's Pastor Tom's car. And sooner or later, Pastor Tom's going to call for his car back. You see, it's presumptuous for you and me to think that we're the owners. Life is just like that. We're not always going to be doing what we're doing tonight. He's the owner. We're the stewards who have been entrusted with time, come on, with talents, and with treasures so that we may use it for His glory and invest it. And when we invest it, there will be an increase. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in tons of other ministers' life. I've seen people start out here, if you will, will ministerially wise, but they're faithful. And through the years, they kept coming up. They kept coming up. They kept coming up. They kept coming up. We serve a God who comes up. Amen. We serve a God, hallelujah, who knows what it's like to be down, but Jesus came up. And He can bring you up as you're faithful to the things that God has put and entrusted you with. Amen. Everybody gets something. Everybody gets something. The amount may differ. Amen? Your abilities may differ from someone else. That's why he says don't compare yourself with somebody else. But everyone is responsible to walk in what God has given. And these are just, this is just the tip of the iceberg. These are just some of the things we're going to talk about. Amen? I'm going to teach you for about 25, 30 minutes every week. And then we're going to break down into groups and we're going to discuss it. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the ability to to communicate and to share, Lord God, I believe what you're putting in our heart for these next few weeks. Lord, we give you praise. We give you the glory for it in Jesus' name.